Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Joshua chapter 24. That sounds uh, interesting, doesn't it? Because there's only 24 chapters in Joshua. Wayne, are you through with Joshua? Probably not. Do you remember, how many of you remember years ago when I did 2 Timothy, and then I went back and did the things I missed when I preached on, is either 1st or 2nd Timothy. And I almost went back again and preached on the things I missed when I preached on the things I missed when I preached on 2nd Timothy. So you don't ever know what I'm going to do, but this is the last chapter of Joshua, Joshua 24. And today's topic, that was number 15 in our series, but today's topic is having to make hard choices. What does this incredible journey involve? And one of it is having to make hard, serious choices from Joshua 24. You know, whether we thought about it or not, there's an invisible line that's being drawn in front of us every day that we live, circumstance by circumstance, situation by situation, and it all has to do with our choices. I don't care what happens to you, if it's in traffic, if it's at work, wherever it is, there are lines being drawn constantly, lines being drawn Either we are going to choose to walk after our flesh or we're going to choose to cling to Christ and to His Word as we've seen brought out so eloquently from Joshua in His Word, in, in, in the book of Joshua. Our choices define us. Our choices define us. We are not products of our environment. We are products of our own individual choices. Jesus tells us that we only have two choices. But he also tells us that each choice is hostile to the other. He says in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't have it both ways. None of us can. The Christian life is a journey for us learning how to make the right choices at the right time by the grace that God gives to us in our walk. Now these choices can range from the mundane, actually the boring, I mean the simple things, all the way to the most serious. For instance, just a couple of choices that I point you back to. The Apostle Paul in Philippians was caught in a huge dilemma. The dilemma was not knowing which choice to make. The choices were, it involved what was best for him. And that's, that's certainly something to consider. But also, what would be better for others? And it was a different choice. Isn't that the bottom line of all of our choices? What's best for me or what's best for God and for others? Well, in Philippians 1.21, he says, For to me to live is Christ and die is gain. And we quote that verse over and over again, never look at its context. It says, But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is much more than that necessary for your sake. Some hard choices. That wasn't easy. He says, you know what I would, he even says in Corinthians, I don't want to go through the act of dying. I sure am looking to being clothed on the other side and to be with the Lord. But consider Moses if you talk about hard choices. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment from the with the people of God 
than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. But talking about choices, if there was ever a group of people that understood the consequences of making wrong choices, it would be the nation of Israel. They made some horrendous choices, just like we do, and they paid dearly because of them. One price that they paid, a whole generation died in the wilderness, were not allowed to go over into Canaan. It's incredible some of the wrong choices that are made. In chapter 23, Joshua, in his old age, made one of his two final speeches to the people. Now, we saw chapter 23 last week. He wanted Israel to know, basically, bottom line, you don't need me. You've never needed me. You need God, and you need to learn to trust him and to serve him alone. That was his message to them last week. Well, today we look at the final message that he's going to give, and that's in chapter 24. And what he does in chapter 24 is incredible. He draws a line. And again, as I said to start the message, there are lines being drawn day by day. Well, Joshua draws a line and challenges them to make the choice of faith to serve God only. He knows their history. And so he draws a line for them. He's about to disappear off the scene. He's going to die. Our whole message centers around one verse. All of chapter 24, to me, hinges on one verse. And it's verse 15, where the challenge comes out. He says in verse 15, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, But, and here's the line, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, these are Joshua's final words to Israel. And it would behoove us to pay close attention to them because he wants them to understand the weight of their decision of whether or not to serve God or whether or not to serve the the idolatry of this world. To those of us in the New Covenant, we must remember we're free to make any choice because all things are lawful to us, but we must remember not all things are profitable, and we cannot determine the consequences of the wrong choices that many of us make and have made. We learn from this chapter that before we make a choice or whether or not to obey our flesh or serve God, we need to do three things. And I want to look at these three things when it's a critical time Life is critical to start with, and these lines are constantly being drawn. And so when we get up next to this line, and we only have two choices, my way or God's way, before we make these choices, and this is not a formula, but it certainly should be involved, or three things. First of all, consider what God has graciously done for us. Now, we just sung that. I will remember, I will remember. Think about the Lord, the grace, the amazing grace that he's shown to us. Remember, before you ever make a decision, consider what God has graciously done for us. I liken it to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. And the author of Hebrews, after building up Christ and showing showing everybody how much greater he is, how he created the universe, he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, 
the apostle and high priest of our confession. And the word consider there is not the normal word for consider logismos, which simply means to sit down and reason it out. This is the word kataneo. Kata is an intensive. And I'm telling you, he pushes it to the nth degree. And the word for noeo means to think. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying, stop, stop, stop. Before you do anything, before you say anything, stop and consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. You're going to see that same idea in this text, just like we've already heard in our singing. Verse 24, verse 1, or chapter 24, verse 1, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Now Shechem was a very special place, historically precious to, to Israel. Uh, how appropriate for to, to gather them at this place. Shechem was where the tabernacle was. Shechem set between Mount Gerizim and it's set to the south and Mount Ebal to the north. Now, these mountains at their base were only 500 yards apart and Shechem lie, lay in the narrow valley between these two mountains. Mount Gerizim represented the blessings of God when they chose to obey him. Mount Ebal represented the curses of God when they chose to disobey him. And we saw that back in Joshua chapter 8. This very spot where he gathered all of Israel was where, where Abraham was given by God the land that they were in. This is when the promise first came to Abraham, right here. It says in Genesis chapter 12, in verse 6, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So here he is calling all of Israel together to the most historical place he could possibly bring them and standing there in the midst of the rich history that Israel had, Joshua rehearses for them all that God had done for them throughout their whole history as a nation. And this is where I, I began to realize that we... We've got to be thinking. We've got to be remembering. How many times does the word remember show up in Scripture? Remember, 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 remember. He speaks as a prophet as he begins by saying in Joshua 24, 2, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So it really wasn't coming from Joshua. It's coming from the Lord. They're reminded that the nation of Israel was God's idea from the beginning. <laughs> this is what's so funny. He chose this nation. No, he produced this nation. It was his idea from the beginning. He takes them back to their ancient history, all the way back beginning with Abraham. Joshua 24, 2. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the Jordan River, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterward I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did to Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. So he mentions several things about their history. He mentions Abraham's journey to Canaan. He mentions the birth of Isaac, the descent of, of Jacob and his sons into Egypt. 
He speaks of the plagues that he put upon Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea, the destruction of the Egyptian army, and the preservation of Israel in the wilderness, as verse 7 says, for a long time. But then he brings them up to the more present history. That was ancient history. And most of the time we have to be reminded of ancient history. But he brings them up to the present history. And this would be, they would be much more personally acquainted with what he's about to say. You see, the history of what God had graciously done in Israel's life play a huge role in the choices they were about to make. Just like it is the history of what God has done in our life should play a great role in how we choose either to say yes to Him or say yes to our flesh. Every day of our life we ought to awake. This is why praise is such an effective part of prayer. Instead of going in with requests, go in with praise and remember what God has done. Reflect back on what God has done before you even start the day, before you even make a choice. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 8, Joshua refers to when God conquered the Amorites who would not allow them to cross their land on their way to Canaan. Verse 8, Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. Now in that story, it's, it's an interesting piece that he brings out. King Balak of Moab, he, 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 he tried to get a prophet named Balaam to curse the people, <laughs> and, 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 but God would not allow it. And what God did, it turned him around and caused him to bless the people. I love the way God did it. It says in verse 9, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. All the way down to verse 14, Joshua continues to share with them what God had done for them. And to sum it up, let me just sum it up. God created them as a nation. He delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. He fought for them as they moved toward the Jordan. And finally, blessed them by bringing them into the land of promise. So he's beginning to set the stage for a very serious decision he's asking them to make. A, a line that he's drawn in the sand. And he says, now listen, you've got a choice to make. It's either you're going to serve your flesh in the idolatry of this world, or you're going to bow before the Lord God in front of you. Well, basically what Joshua was saying is, stop and think. Stop and think. Consider the history of what God had done for them because of his gracious character. Now, Joshua had already made up his own mind what he's going to do. He says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he now admonishes them. He says to fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. You see, the thing he knows about them is their history. He knows that to do that, they're going to have to put away the idols that they have been worshiping. It's gotten into Israel, as, even in the wilderness, but especially as they've moved toward the land of Canaan. So we must understand, we must understand this morning that it's like a slap in the face to God to each time we neglect His kindness to us and make those foolish choices to serve our flesh. It's almost like slapping Him in the face. It's like, God, we don't care about what You've done in our life. God, we dismiss what You have done in our life when we make those wrong choices to do it our way. And that's the bottom line of what Joshua was trying to get across to them. Before you make a choice, before you even think about it, you consider what God has done in your life. Think back with me right now. 
when were you saved? Think back with me just for a second. How he, how he saved you. Look at, look at your life. Look at your family. What has God done in your life this morning? And just look back at the blessing, the times that He has shown His grace to our life. That should factor into everything that we are and every choice that we make. Well, a true believer must stop and consider the history of what God has graciously done for him before he foolishly makes a wrong choice of choosing his flesh. But the second thing is, if this line is drawn in the sand, the second thing is we must consider the grace that is required to make and to keep on making the right choice. We have to consider this. From verse 14 to 30, verse 33, the word serve is used 15 different times. It means to fear God, to obey God, to worship only Him. That's the essence of the word. Now, as we have said, verse 15 is where Joshua hinges it all. And so let's read it again. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord... Choose for, for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were before beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now watch what the people do. When the line is drawn in front of them, immediately they respond. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us up and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did these great things in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We will also serve the Lord, for He is our God. You can almost see it. It's, a, it's electric, and the crowd is there. And Joshua says, choose you this day, me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And they come back with a rally. Yes, we will serve the Lord. Promises, promises, promises. How many of us have done the same thing in a crowd? Isn't it easy to do it in a crowd? And you're in a big crowd and the emotion is there and whoever it is has stirred the crowd and the line has been drawn and he says, pick your side. Yes, us, count us in. Count us in. But talk is cheap. Once again, we only have two choices. They only had two choices. We only have two choices. Are we going to do it our way? Are we going to do it God's way? Are we going to bow and yield to Him and to His Word? Or are we going to just say, God, don't call me. I'll call you. I'm going to go my own way way you see apart from god's enabling grace none of us can honor those choices we made in public <laughs> none of us can honor those great promises we made to god apart from the grace of god i love when i do a wedding <laughs> and uh i just love doing it <laughs> i just think it's important and i have the couple standing there they're google-eyed they're holding each other's hands we get to the vows do you promise to love and to cherish and sicknesses and health. And I don't remember how all the vows go, but it just keeps going. And I mean, it's a weighty, you're saying some tough stuff. And then all of a sudden, at the end, they say, I do, I do, I do, hurry up, hurry up, get this thing over with. And then I have to tell them, do you realize that uh, you can't do anything you just promised to do? And they just kind of look at me. It's really been funny almost every time I've done it. And I say, without the Holy Spirit of God living in you, you would not have the enablement to do what God's commanded you to do. And that's really what I think Joshua's pointing to here. Joshua makes the most astounding statement in verse 19. Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. 
He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sin. What? He will not forgive your transgression and your sin. Now let's, let's break that down for a second. Joshua tells them you can't have it both ways is basically what he's saying. It's not God plus something. You can't add an idol to your worship with God. It's all God or it's not God. Now in the new covenant of grace, we know that we are already forgiven for sins past, present, and future. We know that. How? Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for us. We know that forgiveness is ours. But if we like Israel, if we like Israel choose our flesh over God, and we choose to do it our way, then the not forgiving our sins simply means to us in the new covenant that we will no longer enjoy the benefits of the forgiveness we already have. Those benefits are, sent, are, are many. For instance, the benefit of a clear conscience. A clear conscience. Paul says, I serve God with a clear conscience. A cleansed conscience is actually the Greek word. Did you realize that Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one's pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. But it also includes the fruit of the Spirit, which is what disappears in our life. What happens to us when we choose our own way? First of all, we're looking over our shoulder all the time. But secondly, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, disappear. They're gone. And all of a sudden, we're impatient when we're unloving and we don't have any peace in our heart. And all of a sudden, there's no patience with anybody. And all of a sudden, there's no kindness and goodness and no faithfulness, dependability, and there's no gentleness, there's no self-control. We're totally out of control. What happened, man? You were walking with God here. What happened over here? Ah, you chose to do things your way. I see. There's a consequence to that. Joshua knew Israel's weakness. He knew what they have done before. They've been in these places before. We will serve the Lord. On Mount Sinai, Sinai, he told them, go up. And he said, you tell God we'll do whatever he tells us to do. Yeah, right. And they hung themselves right there and broke the the covenant that they were making with God. So since he knows that, he warns them that God would not tolerate it. It's not how loud we shout. It's not how high we jump. It's how straight we walk when we come down. We all talk a great game in a crowd. I'm telling you, we talk a great game in a crowd. Put people around us, we can talk a great game. When God enables individual faith, it involves the grace required to sustain our choice to yield to Him. He has got to give us the grace to even continue on. Not just to make the choice, but to keep on making the choice. Without God's enablement, we will never destroy the idols that have deceived us over and over and over again. Victory is not our overcoming sin. Victory is Jesus overcoming us. Well, the people hear the warning for a second time. Second time. And they loudly again affirm, we will serve the Lord. So it says in verse 21, the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord twice now. So Joshua says to them in verse 22, your witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And, but he's telling them, listen, if what you say is true, then you will put away the idols of your flesh. The proof is going to be in the pudding. Now, for us in the New Covenant, it's, it's a lot simpler in a sense in the fact that when we say yes to Christ, 
We're saying no to our flesh and any idol that it wants to drift towards. You cannot say yes to the flesh and yes to Jesus at the same time. If we're depending upon God and if we're choosing to serve Him, our walk is going to match our talk. Because, you, like I said, you cannot say yes to your flesh and all of its idolatry if you're saying yes to Christ and to His Word. So there's some serious things to think about here. Otherwise, there are going to be some severe consequences when we make those wrong choices. So before making choices as to who will serve, consider what God has graciously done for you and to consider His grace required to make the choice and then to keep on making the right choice. It's only in the grace of God. It's, he, he lives within us in the new covenant to enable us in, in everything He demands from us. Well, finally... Consider that making the right choice to serve God alone is the only way to enjoy His blessing. There is no other way. Do we, do we have it? Yes, we have it. But to enjoy the blessing, there's only, you have to learn, I have to learn, to make the right choice to say yes to Him. For a third time, verse 24, the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God. But they add a little phrase to it that makes it significantly different than the first two times. And we will obey His voice. Oh, man. You cannot serve Christ in the new covenant unless you are into His Word and His Word has gotten into you. How in the world can I say that I'm serving Christ when I don't even know what He demands in my life? We've got to be in His Word before this can even become practical to you and I. Verse 25 he says, so Joshua made a covenant. Since they, they said, we'll not only serve the Lord, we'll obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And I like this. It's kind of like he put a recorder there. <laughs> Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which has spoken to us. He has spoken to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you so that you do not deny your God. There's going to be a witness here. It's going to be that stone. I thought about that verse. If men will not praise God, the stones will cry out. And so God says, hey, Joshua puts that stone there, almost as if it's a tape recorder of everything they do from that point on. Because they said on that day, we will serve the Lord. Well, Joshua dismisses him. He goes back to the land of his own personal inheritance, and he dies. Verse 31 says, This will serve the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. But after Joshua, and then Eleazar the high priest, and all the elders of Israel had died, I want you to look at the next generation. Now, if you don't think that sin doesn't continually repeat itself, I want you to see, it'll open the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. This is what happens if we're not totally depending upon God even to make the right choice and to keep the right choice. Our flesh is so strong, it pulls us right back to the idolatry in our life. Judges, chapter 2, and verse 10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, speaking of Joshua's generation. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. And verse 11 says, Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Are you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me? After they had come to that place, they had made that promise that to God, they had chosen to serve him and him alone, and now this generation is serving the Baals, the gods of that day. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Look at this. Bowed themselves down to these idols. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. And I guess when I'm reading that, and I realize Joshua sits right here, and I realize that then the next book is Judges, and I look at this generation and all the mistakes that they made, but yet they ended up serving the Lord God as much as they could understand. But on the other side, you've got a generation that is completely different. They've denied God. They've chosen against God. And I'm thinking to myself, will, now listen carefully, will we ever learn? Will we ever learn? <clears throat> they didn't. Are we learning? As a New Covenant believer, before you make a serious decision of who you will serve, day by day, <clears throat> in the circumstances you're facing right now, consider what God has graciously done for you in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider His grace <clears throat> that is ours in Christ, that is required to make and keep on making the right choice. And consider that the only way you'll ever enjoy the blessings you already have is to bow before Him and His Word. As I was studying this, I could not miss it. <clears throat> it's as clear as a bell to me of an application. Now, understand what I'm saying. Not an interpretation. I just gave you the interpretation. I'm talking about an application to our lives. And I believe this application has to do with us as believers in America right at this critical junction for such a time as this, right up before this election. Now, listen, we are not Israel, and I'll never tell you that. But we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in a country which stands at a crossroads. And folks, the line has been drawn. We have some serious hard choices to make as this election draws near. If we are who we really say we are, first of all, we must vote. And I'm telling you, we got a voter registration desk outside today. That's one of the privileges God has granted to this country. And I put in my column this morning, I think if a person doesn't vote, that's a sin against the very privilege that God has given us in this country to help to form the direction that he wants to take us. You say, I can't vote for either candidate. <laughs> that's a cop-out. Listen to me. Not to vote is to cast a vote. And we have to understand that. If a person says, I'm not going, this is what's going on in our country today. This is what's killing us. Believers that love God, that are called by God, are apathetic, and they've stepped back, and they're not stepping forward. You see, this is so imperative for us to understand. We need to wake up. It's never been any more clear, and it's never been any more critical in my lifetime as to what's at stake. I'd never tell you who to vote for. You will never nail me to the floor and I tell you who to vote for. I will not do that. That's between you and God. I will tell you, you better get out there and vote. And if you haven't registered, register. We'll help you to do that. But I will tell you this. Whether or not you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, Alabama fan, or whatever. And by the way, <laughs> today... The Tennessee fans have a lesson in humility. But the Alabama fans are going to have to deal with pride. So either way, we go. We've got to go to the cross. 
No matter what you are, I don't care what you are, libertarian, I don't know, whatever that is, I, I, whatever you think you are, if you have made the choice to bow before Jesus Christ, you had, the line has been drawn so many times in your life, it's a reflex to you that you're going to honor the things that God honors. You're going to hate the things that God hates. You're going to love the things that God loves. And what you're going to look for when you go to vote are who are the candidates, what is the party, whatever, that stands closest to what God says. It doesn't matter if your party wins or loses. It matters whether or not God wins in this thing. That's the whole thing. We're voting God. We're not voting party. We're voting God. And whatever it is that sticks closer to his heart is what we go for, no matter who it is. There are three issues that have been crammed down our throat. Not just three, but there are three in my mind that I want to share with you this morning. And I tell you, the line is drawn with them. They leave us no option. Leave me no option, but to stand against these issues as a believer. One is the issue of homosexuality, which is couched under the phrase same-sex marriage. Now, I want to make sure you understand my heart. Does God love homosexuals? Absolutely. And Jesus went to the cross to die for them. And his grace extends to them just like it does to us all. No, we're not saying anything different. But does God hate the sin of homosexuality? Yes, he hates it, just like he does adultery, idolatry, lying, coveting. God hates it. Now, if we love the thing God loves and we hate the thing God hates, it's not the person, it's the sin. Christ transforms our sinful lives. This is what happens in salvation. We become a brand new creature, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. His word and his power, once Christ comes to live in us, renews our minds. The word renews our minds. It gets deep in us, which in turn changes the way we think, which in turn changes the way we behave, which conforms to what he desires and what, what he commands. A perfect example of this, if you know somebody who's caught in that trap of homosexuality, they can, they, God can deliver them. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Now, put us a whole bunch of these together nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, or, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't write that. God wrote that's God's word. But now wait a minute. He goes on, verse 11. He says, such were some of you. <laughs> Thank God for the grace. But you were washed. How are we washed? In the blood of Christ. But you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Homosexuality, yes, it is a sin that goes against God's natural order, but in Christ it can be forgiven. And what we've got, how that leads in, into what I, I'm talking about, the line that I didn't draw this line, it's been drawn for us. And there's a choice that we've got to make. It, and we need to be the advocate of those things which God loves, those things which God says. And whoever lines up there, that's the way I'm going. We need to understand that God is pro-life, by the way. You ask about abortion. That's another issue that's up. God is very pro-life. Life begins at conception. We know that from Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Paul said in Galatians 1:15. But when God, who had set me apart, even 
from my mother's womb. And Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nation. And on and on and on and on. Did you know what? In the last of the last days. Now, some people are saying, very, be careful with this. We're in the last days, Brother Wayne. They finally come. I hate to tell you, but the last days started when Jesus came to this earth. Hebrews chapter 1 says, in these last day, days he has spoken to us in his son. Last days have already begun. So when it talks about the last days in Scripture, it's talking about the last of the last days. Now, are, are we there? Certainly, I think we are. But in 2 Timothy 3.3, 3, he says in the last days, this, this is about the church because everything he says was already about the people of the world. He says, in these last days, they will become unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, brutal, haters of good. And you know what the word unloving is? <laughs> we think, ah, oh, we don't care about each other. Mm -mm. There are four words for love in the Greek language. One of them never used, which is the word most people come up with. Eros is never used. But the word storgi is the word he uses here. And he puts a little A in front of it, ah. Storgi. You know what storgi is? Every lost person has that. God creates them this way. I mean, everybody has it. It's, it's a mama's love for her little baby. It's something that God puts in a mother for that child. But in the last of the last days, they will be without storgi. You understand now what's going on in our country? You see, can abortion be forgiven? Absolutely, absolutely. I used to love to do those closure services over, at the, over, over there at the, at the memorial. I used to go over and people would come and they'd name their child and they'd already confessed it before God and they had some closure in their life and they could move on. I, absolutely, absolutely. But it is a sin and you can't skip around it. But then there's the issue of national support of Israel, which I personally think is very critical. And only one Verse I'm going to bring out. Considering Israel, God said to Abraham and his promise to his people of a land and a nation. He says in verse 3, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. See, this is, these are the critical issues that are there. There are more than that. I just, there are three things that have grabbed me in the last several months. So in the line of our message of Joshua chapter 24, a line was drawn. Joshua drew that line. This line, we did not draw. It's been drawn for us. I encourage you, first of all, to join us today for the next 56 days in our prayer vigil. We're going to pray right up to the election. I want you to start praying that God would, would uh, honor, be honored in this election. As you pray, consider what God's done for you, who he is, his character, his impeccable character in your life. Consider the grace it's going to take, the things that we've talked about today. But also... Consider what Christ has done for this country, our country. The history, revisionists have completely changed history. They have taken God out of our history textbooks. They've taken all the quotes of, of men that were our leaders and our founders. And as a result, our children and grandchildren are sitting in those classes every single day, and they don't know the other piece unless somehow we get it across to them. He has given us freedoms. He's taken us through wars. He's taken us through tragedies like 9-11. He's given us freedoms the rest of the world doesn't even fully grasp. The people, our friends in Romania right now are saying to me when I go over there, 
what in the world are y'all doing over there? Do you not realize where you're headed? This is what happened to us. That's what they're telling me when I go over there. It's like a slap in God's face if we keep on repeating the mistakes of a generation after Josh, that's a generation after Joshua made and choosing the idolatry of this world to do things our way instead of God's way there are consequences I pray that God will give us I pray this we don't deserve it but I pray it that God will give us another chance we've blown everything else and that's what we're praying for God would you give us as a nation another chance let me conclude with this Alexis De Tocqueville, a French historian in the 1800s, is credited as having said, I sought for the greatness and genius, genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness, did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. So, we've got a lot of choices to make, don't we? Not just when the election comes. I'm talking about today, before the day's out. You've got choices tomorrow. There's a line drawn right in front of us. But before we budge... Make sure we remember, as we've heard sung today, and we recall what God, who God is, the love He demonstrated in His Son dying on the cross for us. We go back and remember, and then we understand His grace to help us make hard decisions and to keep making those hard decisions. And, and then to know that unless we're going to go that route, we'll never enjoy the blessings that are already ours in Christ Jesus. That's my encouragement to you. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just draw a circle around yourself this morning and just ask yourself the question, do I hate what God hates? And do I love what God loves? And how does that reflect itself into your daily life? How does that reflect yourself? Just ask the Lord to reveal if there's areas of your life today that you're trying to add to Jesus rather than just Jesus alone. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And in that circle drawn around yourself and in that quiet moment, what's the one thing God wanted you to hear this morning. Father, I thank you so very much for the opportunity to look at Israel because it reminds us of ourselves. And how, Father, Israel made some horrendous choices and all of us in this room this morning have made horrendous choices. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. We do. And oh, dear God, as we pray about this upcoming election here in our country, I, Lord, I just ask that you give us another chance. Lord, let us be the ones that can make a difference. But Lord, help us to understand it's got to be you in us and through us. And so, Father, speak to us now, and we'll praise you for all that you say in Jesus' name. Now, while Carrie's singing, piano's playing, just remember something. If you have come to this place this morning and you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you come on down. We've got pastors that will love to minister to you. If you're here this morning and you want to join the church, let us know. We'll, we'll be glad to inform you on how to do that. If you're here, you just need to come and pray. You just do whatever God puts on your heart. and We'll just, we'll just let this, the Holy Spirit work now in the quietness of these moments as, as Carrie sings.
For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.